The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Well, great education, great networking. Yes, California Association of Licensed Investigators and a conference is next week, July, June, July, June uh, 8th to the 10th at beautiful Rancho Mirage, California. You can still go www.cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-2254. Now, my friend, private investigator, Shannon Tillis, is my guest today. Hi, Shannon. Welcome. Hey, good morning. Good morning, good morning. So when most people think of private investigators, they either think of following cheating spouses or people who are retired police officers. Nothing could be further from the truth with Shannon told us. But even for those who are, unaw- are aware of the field of private investigation that has so many facets, Shannon breaks the mold. Shannon, tell us about your clientele. Oh, my gosh. Um... I work uh, mostly with the entertainment industry and their uh, associated branches, like their legal their, and their promotions branches. Um, I work for networks and a lot of print media. Um, I don't know. Most of my clients you know. I just don't, I can't talk about them because that's one of the reasons why they hire me. But um, most of them are, are uh, even though I, my offices are located in Southern California, most of my clients uh, are on the East Coast hmm. and mostly in Manhattan, although uh, their corporate structures are over the border in New Jersey, which is why I'm also licensed in New Jersey. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you're ba- you, know, you came from an insurance claims background. How did you possibly get involved in this end of private investigation? That's a great question. I, yeah, um, way back in the day, in the 80s, I started as a, a claims adjuster um, because I just happened into the field. Um, I worked for a number of large insurers, and then I was picked up by uh, one for a management program, a trainee program, and um, kind of a really amazing opportunity. For me, I had uh, quite a lot of, of perks and a great package working for this company, but what it boiled down to was um, they would not allow me to pay my claims. Uh, and without going into too much detail about what, exactly what happened with them, they, they were not operating legally. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. Okay. So I, <laughs> I 
decided I used to, I would go home from work and then I would say, gosh, this is just not looking positive for me. I think I'm going to have to quit because uh, my, um, my definition of integrity did not align with theirs, my employer's. So I ended up. So they, so they just weren't. I mean, they just weren't paying their insureds. No. They, wow. No, they were barely paying their insureds, and it was it was not uncommon for us to get bomb threats uh, in my office. If you can believe that, I believe it. Scary. I, a lot of angry people because they were being simply were just being uh, not represented fairly, mm-hmm. and that's what did not sit well with my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did. I quit the job. I walked off yeah. the job, and um, I had an epiphany standing in my kitchen about uh, a week later. I decided, you know, the thing is, what bothered me so much was that, um, for me personally, what fed my soul about being an investigator for this company was I just like to be helpful for people. I like to mm-hmm. do what I can do to help spare their pain. And <clears throat> what I didn't like was assigning a value to their pain. That. That didn't sit well with me, but I did uh, because as an adjuster, that's part of your your job description. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to be I, as fair as I could be while um, maintaining my employer's uh, <clears throat> footing, but my, but um, I never felt great about what would come back from my manager's desk, where he would decline my my suggestions because um, he just it didn't fit in with the numbers for that branch, mm-hmm. which was terrible. That's what it boiled down to. So. So I quit that job, and I went home and decided, you know, um, at the time we had a house with a couple of empty bedrooms, and uh, I thought, you know what, from now on, and I, and I swear this is exactly how it happened, I looked up to the sky and I said, you know what, I'm only doing good from now on. So I opened my own company, which uh, here we are all these years later. You have an empty bedroom, so, okay, I think I'll open a private investigation office. Yes, and do foster care. So that's the other half of that story. So we, we, uh, four months later, had a a special delivery on our doorstep of a a 17-month-old screaming child, and then suddenly I was a mother and suddenly a business owner all at the same time. All at the same time. (laughs) That sounds like a challenge. that's, That's made for TV sitcoms. (laughs) <laughs> should have been. <laughs> so, um, so your claims um, background then qualified you to uh, for the licensing for California, right? Correct. Okay. And even though you had walked off this job, did you have to use their background as uh, qualifying hours? Oh heck yeah! And they and yeah. they were willing to do that. It wasn't a problem. Yes. Let it put it, let's put it this way. Later on, about, I don't know, like a couple of years later, they, I, I received a check in the mail from this company uh, because I wasn't the only one that ended up walking off the job. Uh, they, there was a class action lawsuit. that. Oh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they were more than happy to co- uh, comply with my request to. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, that's for my great. hours. Yeah, definitely. So how long ago was that, Shannon? Oh, that was uh, 1990. Seven. Okay. So with your model of doing good, how did you get started? Well, um, I volunteered a lot. I still do. I volunteer quite a bit. I usually I have one or two good, solid cases that are open in my office all the time until they're resolved one way or another. And those are um, the cases that I, um, I fill in the blanks. When I have free time, then I volunteer. 
And so I, okay. I do good um, in that way. And um, I then I guess that's a good question. I I decided that when I began receiving calls for um, certain investigations, I guess I noticed that they didn't sit well with me either, like um, cheating spouse investigations mm-hmm. and um, those especially. And I used to say to people that would call me, um, you know, we're, we're here uh, to do investigations, but we're not in the line of uh, business where you're seeking retribution or, or um, vengeance. We're not in the mm-hmm. business of vengeance here. Mm-hmm. We're here to be helpful. And so um, I guess what it did is it, 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 just my life circumstances and the season of life that I was in, I was able to mold my business around this acumen of mine and um, where my mind and my heart was. And how did you first start attracting these high-profile types of clients? What I did was um, I read a million marketing books. I still do. I always have three <laughs> or four of them open all the time. Okay. Guy Kawasaki is one of my favorites. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. Um, I read in one of these books that the just go where your client base is. Whatever client base that you are looking for, go where they are. Okay. So I did, and most of them were in um, at a, a, a few conferences in New York. So I started attending these conferences, and I joined their professional associations. And that's how I do my marketing, is I just began flying around the country wherever my client base uh, congregated. That's where I would go and try to spend my time. And my goal was to, and, and remains, is to meet with these individuals um, on their ground mm-hmm. and to infuse myself into um, their business models. And because honestly, you know, as an investigator, we're, we're very useful. We're not just uh, about doing surveillance. That's, I, I don't even hardly do surveillance anymore. Right, I right. do due diligence investigations uh, very discreetly for the entertainment industry on, on the most part. Uh, well, you talk about what a due diligence investigation is. What do you do for that? It depends. Um, I always consult with my potential clients uh, in advance, obviously. I just try to um, get inside their head and find out what it is that uh, they need to get where they're trying to be, if that makes sense. Um, frequently, I'll get a call. I got one the other day from somebody who said, I, I just want A, B, and C from you. Okay. And they don't need A, B, or C. They only need D. And D is going to cost them a lot less money, a lot less effort, and they'll have my work product back to them fairly quickly. Um, they hardly know. I mean, they, they have a, a goal in mind, but they don't always know how we can fit in. And so, don't know how to go about it, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, this, you know, Shannon, you and I have never talked about this, so this is fascinating to me. So did you just one day say, uh, knock on somebody's door and say, hi, I'm P.I. Shannon, and I, I want to work for your entertainment company? How did that Absolutely. work? Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. I went and I, I, uh, <laughs> I, bought, a, I bought some suits, went and had them tailored, 
to death and uh, uh, dropped quite a lot of money and went and stood in those uh, conference rooms with those people. And, and my, essentially what I do and what I still do, um, and I think for me that has been the best approach at marketing, is I just sit and have salads with them wherever they are <laughs> and sit and chat. <laughs> when I go to Manhattan, because I'm a speaker there, actually what ended up happening was is I've been around so much there now that I'm, I was asked to be a faculty member um, to speak at these conferences now, so um, which is really fun. Last year, I think, let's see, I spoke with A&E and um, a couple other large brands, and they're legal. They're legal all know me now, which is neat, because, I mean, what a neat group of people. They're so smart, so smart. Uh-huh. I, I get a kick out of just sitting and listening to them. I've learned so much from just being in the room with them. But what I do is, is when I go into town, I always make sure I have extra days on both ends of, of my meetings. So if my meeting is on a Wednesday, then I fly in on Saturday, the prior Saturday. Gives me a day to kind of get my get over the jet lag a little bit, and because that's a rough morning. That is a rough morning when when you're from SoCal and you uh-huh. got to get up at three in the morning, New York time. Exactly. Exactly. Go get where you're getting, and then you have to sound like you know what you're talking about, and, and that's a rough one. So I always allow some time, and then I, I uh, schedule meetings on both sides of whenever, whatever the conference is. So um, I always joke about it, but my mornings, my days in Manhattan usually start with meetings with my clients. I go to one Starbucks to the next. Then, so that's two, two Starbucks. I have a two or three Starbucks morning, um, and then I meet somebody for lunch, and then I go uh, to sometimes the same Starbucks again, Starbucks with some with another client. Um, so I'll do another three visits to other Starbucks around because that's where everybody has their meetings now. No one wants to have them in, in mm-hmm. well, at least with me. They, mm-hmm. We have them uh, sitting having a latte, so I have to switch to decaf about two two yeah. in the afternoon. <laughs> but I'm I'm still curious about. I mean, because these are people you already know. You're setting up meetings with. How do you get to know them to begin with? Oh, it takes a lot. It takes time. Yeah, yeah. It takes so time and diligence. Step? And and you know, if you are not in the front of their mind, you don't exist. So they don't even. Um, most of the time, I uh, they don't even know they need a PI. I just am there because I know that I can be useful for them, and and I am. I'm useful for them in many um, capacities. It's it's fun. They'll hire me to do a job for them, but then um, they'll these people are still people. And mm-hmm. they have personal lives, and they're just trying to wow their employer, um, try to keep their jobs, and um, they also have personal struggles. So they'll hire me for their company, but then it is it is pretty common for me to receive quiet phone calls from them on the side uh, regarding their own personal issues mm-hmm. that um, they don't know who else to call. So I guess uh, uh, I'm the easiest one to call because they already have my card in their hand, and, and, and they usually have two or three of them because even if I <laughs> see them twice in the same day, they get a card from me both times. Yeah. So they'll um, call me on the side, and um, because they know me and I have already established a rapport, I help them on both ends. I help them professionally and, and privately. But how so, do you meet with them? How do you get to know them initially? I mean, is um, it a, it, it, again, I get their cards, and then I just, uh, you know, when I'm coming back into town, then I'll drop them an email or um, a card. I use a lot of handwritten cards, too. I actually sit down, pen and paper, handwrite little messages to my, 
to my clients, hey, I'll be, or I'm going to be in town, whatever the date is, let me buy you a coffee. And then we just sit and talk. We just sit and talk. I build rapport with all of these people. Okay, so let's take it a step at a time. You're in, say, Manhattan or New Jersey, and you're in a Starbucks, and you just go up and introduce yourself to people and give them your card and start talking? Oh, no, that's the way. I meet them um, at the conferences, and then I let them okay. know I'm going to be in town next time, and then I, I ask them for a meeting, oh, okay. and then that's where okay. we go meet. We meet quietly at, a, at Starbucks. Okay, all right. So is, is your business kind of a referral business, or is it so discreet and confidential that people don't even refer you? Oh, they refer me. It's all referrals. I, I have only recently started to do a tiny bit of advertising, but it's all referral. Word of mouth. It's fascinating. I've, I've, I actually have never known anybody that um, built their business this way. You know why I did that? Uh, so I'm also a mom, I, and I never once all my kids' years missed one field trip. I was always room mother and went on every single field trip, and one of those field trips was to the Reagan Museum here in SoCal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I had this huge epiphany standing outside Ronald Reagan's Air Force One. Um, I was speaking with a docent because I'm, I'm just a huge information nerd. I, oh, I, I can nev- there's never enough information for me about any topic. I just uh, can't get enough of whatever it is that catches my interest. So I was standing there chatting with a docent, and she said, um, you know, Ronald Reagan put more miles on his Air Force One than any president ever. And I said, why is that? And she said, because he wanted to go meet face-to-face with, mm-hmm. with anybody that would have a meeting with him because he figured, especially during the Cold War, that they wouldn't want to blow him up if they had already eaten, like, a, a Reuben <laughs> sandwich with him. So, <laughs> so I thought, oh, my gosh. It was really um, edifying to me. I thought, wow, that's exactly what I've been doing. So I, it just gave me that reinforcement to continue with that business model, um, that marketing model, and it's worked out pretty well. That's really it's fascinating, Shannon. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Shannon will be, be back shortly with more of her innovative ideas. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to FRANCIE at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Karen Phillips is a private investigator based in Los Angeles, but she has just created this niche of high-profile clients in a way that um, I personally have never heard of, and she's very uh, pretty involved with it. So, Shannon, what are the guiding principles that that kind of dictate what you do? You know, what what are your standards? My standards? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm... I'm, um Integrity means an awful lot to me. That's one of the reasons why I left my job with that insurer was, um, you know, if my name, I felt like if my name was being associated with an investigation um, Mm -hmm. and I would be held accountable for that, for my work product, I wanted to make sure that it was 110% above board. Um, That's what follows me around in my office is I, I just do my best to try to represent my client's interests um, their interests first and um, get to where they need to be um, and try to represent them in a way that they feel like I am partnering with them. I mean, that's, that's why, that's the whole, you know that, right? That's the whole new way of marketing your businesses, right, is, is partnering and collaboration. Uh-huh. T- t- tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, well... As we start to see the older generations, like the 50, 60-year-olds, um, starting to cycle out of our profession, they're being replaced by millennials. And millennials mm-hmm. think differently than, um, than we do. Uh, I, I'm actually I'm the mother of two millennials, and sometimes when I talk to my boys, I think, <laughs> well, that's just so fascinating. I mean, they're, um, and I also have several nieces that are millennials too, and I get a big kick out of them. Um, the thing is about them is they are kinder and gentler than we are. They're not so cutthroat. They they like to watch um, some reality TV, but when um, that it just kind of is fun for them. But really, where their hearts are is um, they just uh, they think differently than than we do. They're not cutthroat. They want to be helpful. They want to collaborate. They don't really have a whole lot of of brand loyalty. They have uh, loyalty to um, shared interests. So mm-hmm. what I try to do is I try to find those shared interests, and um, which there, there's always something. I'm a, I'm a human, and so are they. And we, we, uh, I just try to meet with whatever it is that means something to them um, and um, be genuine with them. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of people try to be genuine, but you've made it a, a mission. <laughs> oh, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, very uh, fascinating. And 
so can is is there a way that you can give an example uh, without disclosing your client or what, without uh, being obvious who they are of something that you've done that's been innovative like that? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I can. Here's one. <clears throat> here's one, and they and they won't mind if I talk about this. Um, yeah. Uh, so I was brought in to vet some people, a, a large group of people that were uh, going to have um, as a, a potentially a large amount of exposure that would be associated with a brand. So it basically uh, was a contest. Uh, I do a lot of these, by the way. I do a lot of due diligence um, before brands align their image with individuals, um, uh-huh. like putting them on billboards and magazines for them. Um, but for this example that I'm talking about right now, it was um, a contest, or it was a contest where these individuals who are the best in their industry um, are, were nominated through a nomination process by the, by their peers. So there's this one guy that just everybody loves him because he has a YouTube channel and he, yeah, YouTube, as you know, is one. I'm sure it's one of your favorites too. One of my absolute favorites. Uh-huh. Uh, when researching an individual, I just, especially if they're on YouTube, it's very telling. Um, um, allows you to put together a pretty good, uh, solid dossier or a snapshot of these of these people's interests. Um, this guy, he had a YouTube channel with him. He was singing patriotic songs in his car, and he was very patriotic. And this industry that um, I was representing, or in this regard is, you know, very middle America, very conservative. So these uh-huh. people love this guy because uh-huh. he would just drive around singing these songs. Well, I found, I, I, and pardon me if I'm a little bit harsh right now, you, um, uh, cover your kids' ears, but this guy was into all kinds of really horrible porn. I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible porn. So I put that in my report to my client and, and how did you find that out? Uh, sorry, say again? How did you find that out? Um, I, well, through researching him. I have, I have my ways. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know you're not going to give up any secrets here, but, but, uh, but that's, uh, that's a, that would be a difficult thing to find out if they were doing it. Oh, well, he was doing it under some hidden profiles, but okay. it was still him. Absolutely was still him. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So we put that in a report. So clearly, you know, that's what I do is I help my clients see that. Um, and by the way, there's no reason to go on and continue without investigation for another 20 hours. That guy was already, once I discovered this about him, um, uh, you know, he was already going to be removed from consideration. That mm-hmm. was all they needed to know. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, uh, circling back again, that's what my clients expect from me, and that's what I do for them, is I, I put, I, we say pencils down around here. We put our pencils down. When we find something like that on somebody, um, and we, unless they, for some reason, want us to continue, which just rarely, rarely happens, um, usually we call that one um, as, as finished, but I get my point contact my, um, for the company. I get them on the phone myself. I'll call them and I'll say, hey, here's what we found. Um, I'm going to send you over a quick report um, and you know, you take a look at it and then get back to me and let me know what you think. And then I, mm-hmm. that's what I do is, is we collaborate with 
my clients. My clients are a texting generation too. They expect that kind of response. They want, most of them have my personal cell and they text me all the time and I text them right back and they don't wait for me to text them back because if you wait to text someone back, that's just plain rude. That's to them. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. they expect that kind of, um, you know, hypervigilance in their communication. Immediacy, yeah. yeah. Yes, they don't, they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait. I don't blame okay. them. Okay, all right. So um, have you ever had a situation where you took back information that was derogatory and your client didn't believe you? Uh, well, no. They always believe me. But what I find interesting is, and, and uh, this was a tough lesson for me to learn, uh, that they just, sometimes they just want who they want. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they'll argue with me. They'll say, hey, how is this? Uh, uh, like, for example, here's one. Last year, for um, one of my huge clients, um, huge, they did a promotion where uh, I did some background checks for them. And one of the guys that they were considering had just gotten back from Coachella. <laughs> I found all kinds of stuff online about him, just smoking all kinds of stuff, taking all kinds of stuff, uh-huh. drinking all kinds of stuff, um, photos of him with, with uh, people that, um, that some would deem inappropriate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I put that back in my report and sent it off to them and said, hey, let's have a, little ma- have a meeting. And I talked to them and they said, Oh, you know what? That's uh, what is he smoking there? And so I said, "Well, okay." So I zoomed in the picture. We're trying to figure out exactly. I, I got back to them and said, "Oh, this looks like he's smoking weed." And they're like, "Ah, that's fine. That's fine." <laughs> I thought, "Oh my gosh, what are you, what are you people talking about? That's fine. Okay, well, it's fine for them, and that's for their, for their, uh, for their brand. Uh, their brand is kind of situated for." Uh, on the younger generation, smoking weed is not that big of a deal. But right, if, if right. it was my other client that I was talking about, Middle America, right? Uh, yeah, big that problem. Total, totally would not fly. So, yeah, they still wanted him. They took him anyway. Have you ever um, had a situation where the because um, this happens all the time these days, where um, <clears throat> somebody bites the dust, somebody was uh, their spokesperson for the company, and then something happens and it falls apart. So have you ever had a situation where somebody that you vetted then uh, later was found to be a problem for the company and their brand? No, not once. Yeah, that's great. Not once. All thousands that we've done, not one time. Reason being is, I mean, we provide an awesome work product, and it's the best that could be provided at that time. As you know, information constantly changes and sources constantly Uh change, and they're up and down all the time. And, um, we have a joke around here that I, I personally, I'm, I collect resources like other women collect shoes. I have, <laughs> that's, I'm always ripping them out of magazines or taking screenshots or, you know, trolling around finding additional resources. People send them to me just for, hey, do you have this one? And um, so whatever is available at that time that we provide the snapshot about, they, that's the best that is available at that moment which so meets their have, due diligence requirements. So, All right. So you must we, have a great uh, uh, disclaimer on your report. <laughs> my, my, uh, my contract is intimidating, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So you always sign a contract with a client? Always. I never work for them unless we're, uh, um, we have an executed services agreement. Never. Okay. Okay. And then do you also have a disclaimer on your reports? 
Um, yeah, of course, yes, yes, oh, yes, okay. yes. Yes, okay. but there's a disclaimer on my report and also on my emails. So when going from, I get them on both ends just to make sure. But they know they know that they're pretty well informed, and by the time I have consulted with them, they're extremely aware of potentially where, um, you know, where this is going. So they're uh, I, I make every effort in advance to make sure that we are all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting, Shannon, because I can't imagine you working in a claims environment, because, <laughs> which has always seemed to me uh, pretty dry and la- um, pretty lax, pretty much lacks communication to Oof. any degree. Yeah, it wasn't for me. It was not for me. Huh. So, to to describe what you do in like, I don't know. 15 words or less, how would you bullet point it? Oh, boy. 15 words or less? <laughs> well, you can have a few more words. Can I have 20? Um, you can have 20, yeah. Tw- okay. Well, at 20, start the timer. I don't know. Count these words. I don't know. I, I do a lot of due diligence. I just partner with my clients. Um, I'm the easiest one for them to call. I remove barriers uh, to make sure that I'm the easiest one for them to call. Mm-hmm. And I help them solve their problems. Okay. So when you first meet a client, tell me how that goes. How do you develop that relationship? Well, I meet them generally at these conferences, and um, I try to spread myself around, and I um, talk to as many people as it's appropriate. So if I, in other words, if I have a good conversation going with somebody and I see someone else walk in the room, I, I don't drop that person like a hot potato and move on to the next one. I, uh-huh. I mean, the point is, is I try to establish a rapport with anybody that um, it's appropriate to do so. So you've got to be pretty quick on your feet to know if this is even somebody worth, uh, they're worth your time, but they're not, you, you're, you may not, um, they may not be exactly the person that you need to be speaking with that would be the decision maker in, with regards to establishing a professional relationship. So, mm-hmm. so um, I love to speak with paralegals and some attorneys, some of these very large attorneys are, um, they're just too big. They're too big to talk to. They're not the person to talk to. So um, they're not the person that makes the decisions or the suggestions on who to hire. They're outside um, investigators like my office. Uh-huh. So I try very hard to quickly pinpoint who it is I should be speaking with and who I should be eating salads with. And then I try to circle back again. So I, have, I usually pick out two or three or four, sometimes five, um, individuals that I think once I, I see who, uh, what their position is, and I go back and I try, you know, I'll meet them first and then I'll go back the next day, I'll meet them again and then try to maybe have lunch or whatever around the table. And then before we leave, I make it a definitely a point to go back and wish them well and say it was great to meet you. And then I follow up with an email after that, which mm-hmm. hopefully directs them over to my website. So when you talk about attending conferences, say, for instance, if you're targeting, for instance, the entertainment industry or the some kind of, of media, you're going to their conferences? Yes. Okay. And just like cold? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. 
yeah. Yeah, they're not my conferences. It's funny. I'm a I'm a speaker at a conference that I would I would um, um, not typically attend. Although right. although it is very useful, so I would say tip. I throw that word typically in because uh, now that I've been there so many times, um, they are very useful. Our marketing conferences, so they're extremely useful. Given that mm-hmm. PIs have to be entrepreneurial and self starters, show up without an alarm clock and. Um, so these marketing conferences have been really useful. Can you give me an example of a conference that would be considered kind of off off the grid that you just attended cold like that and made a lot of contacts? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I think I've kind of dialed it in with what I'm doing, but um, my suggestion would be for any investigator that would be interested in this kind of brand of marketing is to just take a look around, first of all, self-evaluate and figure out what it is that you are best at. What do you do very well? What's your favorite part of the investigation to handle? And then just dial that in and go for that. Whatever that industry is that uses that type of investigation, Uh go there, put your suit on, show up, and have some good cards and stand there in the room with them and just chat it up with everyone you can. Uh-huh. And that's literally what you do. You just go as just another attendee with a stack of business cards and get acquainted. Yeah. 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 Well, and plus, you know, the, the truth is, is everyone loves to talk to a PI. It's very, uh, the, if I'm at a lunch table and I'm the only PI at that table, which really I should be the only PI at that table if I'm marketing, Right. right? I mean, you yeah. don't want to be at the table with five other PIs. What, what's the point of that? So you go where PIs are, are um, rare, and um, typically at lunch, the conversation always turns to me, always, uh-huh. because, I mean, how many times have these right. people met an actual PI? It That's is, right. It, usually never. It's perfect. It's perfect. So then they, uh, they. Uh, although it's funny, I'm not really one. That, I don't like to talk about myself. I'm a really super private person. And um, but when we're talking, when we're talking about business, that's a whole other story. Business is business. So um, I just love to find common interests. That's also a perfect time to when the focus is on me, and I can establish common interests with these other just day to day people sitting at this table. Um, that gives me another springboard to follow up on later on. Like, I love to find out about their kids or their interests. or their, I mean, a lot of people are dog people. Um, that opens up other doors of marketing opportunity for them that um, helps them to feel like they can identify with, with me. And, again, that removes another barrier. And then if they need somebody like me, I'm going to be the first one, and I am the first one that they call because they know me. That's, that's just great. Shannon, we need to take another break. This is, I just find this fascinating. Don't go away. More to come with Shannon. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Finally, investigator Shannon Tullis has been telling us how she develops her clientele, which is just um, so much different than anything I've ever heard before. Maybe some of you listening out there think uh, this is a really good idea. Maybe some of you have never heard about it either, but I, I really like it. It's so, uh, it's so creative. So um, I was going to ask you, Shannon, you, I know you're a member of a number of professional associations, one of them being the California Association that I talked about at the beginning of the show. Does belonging to professional associations and networking with other PIs help you? What, uh, what, what answer do you want me to say? <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever you want to say. I'm well, not looking for a well here, then you may not like my answer, but um, okay. not really. Not really? No. Okay. And why no. is that? Why is that? Um, uh, I, I just, uh, I don't, I, again, I have, have gotten no work, no referrals from our Cali listserv or any of the other um, mm-hmm. associations I belong to. So, you know, I don't know. I have, to answer your question, no. Okay. All right. And, and that's fine. Um, it's probably not, I mean, you're doing something that is so, uh, very different than, than most, so I, I'm kind of not surprised. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> although there are a number of private investigators that, <clears throat> that work for people in, in the entertainment industry, particularly in Los Angeles. Right. Oh, at least they say they do. Right. <laughs> at least they say they do. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's right. You never know. You never know, really. Okay, nope. so uh, one of the things that I, that I think you've been <clears throat> really successful at is using Twitter. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, happy to. Um, Twitter, here's the thing. 
just to back the bus up a little bit, Twitter is absolutely important for you to have as an investigator, or actually if you have like any business at all, honestly, um, you need to have an, a significant online presence nowadays. You have to. You cannot um, operate a successful business without um, having at least a Twitter account. You must have a Facebook, and you, you must have... Uh, an excellent website because that's where they go to find you. That's mm-hmm. where they go. Um, that's your business card. And so with Twitter, a few years back, just kind of uh, for the heck of it, I started tweeting. And I remember when I got my first 100 followers, I was at a party somewhere and I looked down at my phone. And I went, well, what the heck? Who Who is listening to me? Apparently somebody <laughs> is. And <laughs> so... So from there, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to make this a part of my day-to-day. So almost every morning, not every morning because I, I uh, just can't, but I do devote frequently most mornings uh, at least a half an hour to trolling all the websites. I read probably through, I don't even know, I use a lot of, of news apps, and I sit there while I'm drinking my coffee in the morning while the news is on, and I just set up through Hootsuite, I set up my tweets for the day. And I tweet stuff that you would, you know, not always associate with a PI. I, I use the hashtag PI mom and PI pro mm-hmm. because some of them are pro tips and others are for moms. Um, I know that that's part of my audience is uh, moms, and they're always interested in, in um, stuff about how to keep their kids safe online and um, changing passwords and kind of stuff like that. So I try to um, I try to reach two or three um, groups of people that would be interested in in what it is I'm tweeting about. So I try to have a broad reach, and I set them up through Hootsuite. Really, is the secret, and it, uh, I allow Hootsuite to time them during the day. So although I'm tweeting all day, I'm not sitting there tweeting. Hootsuite does it for me. They just I schedule it out and. Um, so now I think I'm well over 1,300 followers, might, might be approaching 1,400, and I get quite a bit of feedback. They, they send me emails or, um, you know, reach out to me through IMs or they text me, and so I get a kick out of seeing the response and especially the retweets. Another re, uh, something that gets retweeted an awful lot, every time I tweet out something with the hashtag OSINT, O-S-I-N-T. Uh-huh, I, what does that mean? Um, open Source Intelligence. Okay. Yeah, I get quite a bit of attention when I tweet those out. I throw those in just for just for fun, and um, I get a kick out of the companies or the people that retweet those particular posts. So, yeah, I think just for the uh, keeping in mind who you are marketing to, millennials that are coming right behind us. That's mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely uh, without a doubt necessary. You cannot not have a presence. And Twitter is the one right now. So I'm not. I'm, I've never used Hootsuite. Is that uh, that's a where you can tweet several accounts and you can schedule them? Right. Yeah. I have three. I have actually the one that wins all the awards is Shannon Tullis <laughs> Twitter. Uh-huh. But if you look closely, it's exactly the same feed on uh, Shannon Tullis. I have another one called Vetting Pros, and uh, another another one. I have three that tweet out the same things all day long. And um, it's, I get a kick out of also which one wins the award is the one with my name on it. So <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know you're one of the top um, private investigators on Twitter for sure. Um, 
So what kinds of things do you tweak? Give me an example. Um, sometimes not a lot because there's just not a lot to talk about. But yeah, you only have 140 characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that presents certainly presents a challenge. Um, I just I use the news apps and I cycle through those and whatever catches my attention and whatever would be topical for uh, for that day. So I try to hop on the hashtags or whatever's trending from time to time. But um, you know, it's through Hootsuite you can set up. Um, set them up to cycle through during the day, but then the news apps are also really helpful too because they, what you, as you fine tune them, they tell you what you would be interested in as a subject of, of news. So um, they curate it, curate it for you, and that is just an amazing step forward in making all of this so much easier for for someone like me that's interested in digital marketing as well. Mhm. Mhm. Again. You are so creative you and innovative. I just, uh, I'm just amazed, Shannon. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, and I, well, and I also know you've been voted number one private investigator by Signal Newspaper in Southern California for three years in a row. That's amazing. How did that come about? I don't have any idea. It is pretty surprising. Um, it's, it's funny. I don't really have a, I have a Yelp, but I don't use Yelp. Someone made a, a Yelp for me. Uh, I don't know that Yelp is really for PIs the best place to um, really try to market your business. I think probably a better for me personally, this award that I keep winning here in my in my hometown means a lot to me because I think that that establishes my credibility in a way that um, Yelp never could. In mm-hmm. other words, at Yelp people have to identify themselves and say, "Hey, I hired this person uh, for this." whatever, and they did a great job, or they didn't do a great job. But in, uh-huh. in either case, for um, someone who is yelping about a PI, they have to identify themselves. And so um, winning awards is better because it establishes your credibility because these people are able to vote for you uh, or not, uh-huh. uh, as the case may be. And for some reason out here, I keep winning this award and um, – it's it's pretty amazing. I can't. I still don't really understand who's voting for me, <laughs> but I'm grateful that they do. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Well, what other tricks do you have in your toolbox that <laughs> that you do that that is a little little different than what most people do? M- most PIs. Mm-hmm, most PIs. Oh boy. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm uh, I'm also frequently brought in to negotiate and to get people to communicate with each other where they wouldn't normally. Um, I have, a, I, I have a established a skill set where I attempt to be disarming, and um, I, it seems to have worked out pretty well. I have a client last year that they couldn't get uh, somebody to return their call, and they wanted to give them a gift card, of all things, for ex- the exchange of the use of an image, and um, they hired me to hunt down a few of these people for them, which I did. I found the good, solid addresses and contact information for them. Um, I reached out to these people, and all of them answered the phone for me, but then once I passed them over to my client, I even told them, hey, you're going to be hearing from from my client. I named them by name, and I said, you know, they have a... Uh, I gave them the area code of the phone number that would be calling, so they'd make sure that they would pick up, mm-hmm. and they didn't pick up. They wouldn't answer the phone for these people. And these people are really great people, too, really approachable, kind, entertaining, fun. Um, 
Uh-huh. Um, but they would not return their call, so they called me back and said, hey, they're not calling us back. Can can you get them to call us back? And so I I did. And, I you know, I have this mysterious way with people where I help them to I use a couple of negotiation techniques that I've learned over the years that um, help people feel like they're being heard and represented and um, cared about. And, and so I what help are enlist those? them and coming to the um, resolution that we're all looking for. So I help them to negotiate. What's one of your techniques? One of my techniques is, you know, when I have confidence about what, where the outcome is going, I mean, sometimes there's just no, there are no two ways about it. Somebody, everybody's going one direction, and there's always one resistant person. Um, what I do is I go in and I try to establish a rapport with that person and find out. I try to get inside their head. One of my degrees is in psychology, so I, uh, I have two degrees, psychology and biblical studies, because one of, one of the two always makes somebody make the decisions they're making. So exactly. So psycho or spiritual, it's going to fall into one or both categories. So um, I'll go in and I'll just sit and listen to them and find out what it is that is stuck in, stuck in their mind and why they feel like they don't want to cooperate. And um, I just counsel them through it. And it takes time. You can't do that quickly. I mean, last year I did one for a, on a probate case that was a $4 million probate case. And the way that I got this resistant witness to comply, basically, or cooperate, was I just sat in a jail with her for six hours and listened to her talk about jail recipes, jailhouse recipes, and mm-hmm. chatted her up. And then eventually, you know, she, her barriers were lowered, and um, then she did cooperate, and we ended, were, were able to finally depose her in that jail. And it worked out really, really well for everybody. But the thing is, is, is and that's where my integrity comes in, by the way. This is not, um, I don't just go in and strong-arm people and right. bully them into compliance. I go in um, only if I feel like I can really get behind this purpose. And this purpose is not only permissible, but is, um, is uh, um, okay to do so. You know, we're not, I, don't, I don't go in when somebody's going to get run over. That's not the way that I work. So yeah. I love to be a part of the team and um, for my clients and be a part of the team effort. And I'm frequently able to do that for them, and, and I think that they find that kind of surprising. That's not why they call me to begin with. They call me to do that after they've hired me two or three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it sounds like you're, you're, you have a strong listening skill, and you can uh, restate what the person's talking about, so they have very active listening where they know that you're hearing them. Oh, definitely. I was out with a client recently, and... Um, you know, we talk quite a bit uh, via text, which texting is a whole different kind of te- uh, conversational tone. But when we're when we're together in person, she thinks I'm very I'm quiet. I generally am kind of a quiet person, to anyway. Mm. But um, you know, we were kind of joking about that later. That you know, in person we speak very differently than we do via text, and um, that's because what you're saying is is exactly true and. Um, it's, I've studied that for so long and it's just kind of become a part of my personality that I, I am always listening. I try to, mm-hmm. try to listen and um, be useful wherever mm-hmm. I can be useful. Sometimes that's working, sometimes that's not working. But um, everybody just want to, wants to feel heard. 
That's right. That is exactly right. And and we all should, we all need to pay more attention to that for sure. Right. Shanna, it's so much fun having you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it's been fun. We're at the end of the hour already. It's always a crack up. I always am surprised when we use up an hour. But for the rest of you. Uh, tune in again next week as we classify more real stories from real investigators. And Shannon, I know you're attending your son's graduation next week, and congratulations to him. Thank you. As PI's Declassified, I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PI's Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 